0: Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU, and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the Libertarians, State of the Union. So, Richard, we are recording this on January 21st, the morning after President Obama delivered his next-to-last State of the Union address. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa gave the GOP response last night. So today we will give you the chance to give the libertarian response. Uh, Let's just run today through some of the proposals that the president spent time on last night. First, uh, this proposal to make the the first two years of community college free for students if they maintain over a 2.5 GPA. And the White House says that that's necessary In an economy that requires more and more skilled workers, uh, what do you make of it?
1: I think the president is attacking the problem from the wrong end. Uh, The first thing you want to do if you want to get more workers into the economy is to get rid of the incredible labyrinth of labor law relationships that have taken over and which the president and the Democratic Party have generally supported. These are job killers of the first order because what they do is they make it so difficult for people with low skills to get the initial job which will allow themselves to improve. So it's again the usual mistake that the president wants to make. an imperfection in the market out there. Everybody agrees. Instead of removing the imperfection, what the president wants to do is to create an offsetting subsidy. And unfortunately, the offsetting subsidy he creates is not going to do. The community colleges are are not particularly effective institutions relative to the for-profit institutions that are available. They tend to be very ponderous, very slow, very long completion rates, and they don't train you for the kinds of jobs that you actually need. And so this is essentially another effort of the president to try to increase the size of the public sector at the expense of the private sector. And as these things usually happen, what it will do is it will result in wealth transfers, more people perhaps going and staying in college, but it's not going to do anything to improve the overall state of the economy deregulation not cross subsidy is the appropriate message on this issue
0: now richard the president proposes to pay for this through a couple of tax changes one is nearly doubling the capital gains rate for high earners the other is closing what he calls the trust fund loophole which means that if you inherit an asset you only (laughs) pay cap gains from the time that you inherited it not from the time that it was it was originally bought uh, does, this, does this make any sense? How should we be thinking about cap gains taxation?
1: Well, the capital gains taxation, the president is, I think, completely wrong. Uh, one of the things to understand about capital gains is that to some extent they're elective. If people decide that they're not going to sell their stock, there's no gain to be had. The moment you decide to raise the capital gain that it does is it makes it less likely that people will sell. Some people will have to sell for consumption reasons, but if you're an investor and you know you're going to have to pay 28% when you sell a particular stock in form of capital gains, your new investment is going to have to be about 25% more efficient in order to justify the switch from one asset to the other. In competitive markets, it's not likely that you're going to see these huge kinds of gains. So that what will happen is there'll be a kind of a freeze-up in illiquidity in the market, which means that the total amount of tax collected may well go down rather than up. It also means that investors will be less effective monitors on the effectiveness of various corporations, so the performance inside the business will get worse. For myself, I've generally favored a consumption tax, which has a somewhat smaller base, and if you use a consumption tax, then the capital gains tax would turn out to be exactly zero, and what you would do is you would allow people to take their money, put it into a lockbox, and take a tax on it only at the time that they release it. So he's going to tie up capital markets on that one. So it's got to be a mistake. On the other issue, the so-called stepped-up basis of death means that if you buy a stock at, say, $100, and at the time that you die, it's worth $1,000, the new basis is $1,000 in the hands of your heirs, but the $900 in appreciation goes untaxed. And that is, to some extent, the loophole. It's worth noting, however, that in the converse situation, if you bought it for 1000 and, in fact, you then have it worth 100 at the time that you die, you don't get the $900 loss. So what most people do if they have sensible estate planning advice is they sell out all of their loss positions early on and they keep the gains position. And there's something of a racket going on there. But the president on the other hand, wants to impose and to increase the size of the estate tax, which I regard as an extremely destructive tax. And so my view about it is what we should do is introduce the reform that he wants and abolish the estate tax. Uh, It would not be quite revenue neutral. He's not interested in that. In fact, he's willing to give the stepped-up basis of death to anybody who's under, say, five million dollars as part of his general massive redistribution program, introducing more notch effects and more inequity into the overall system. Uh, so what you need to do is to have major simplification, which I'm in favor of. What he's in favor of is basically socking it uh, to the top 1% in the hopes that he could fund all the other programs. Uh, he doesn't seem to realize that when you put high taxes at the top, it's not just a transfer payment. and has adverse consequences on wealth. And it also, he doesn't seem to understand that most of these transactions Transfer programs don't produce the sustained growth that you want. What he's doing is doubling down on failed policies of the last six years, trying to prove once again that he cannot learn from his
0: own mistakes. Another issue that the president's been focused on of late, Richard, is uh, employee benefits. He's he's pushing for a federal law to give up to seven days of paid sick leave, pushing money to have them expand paid family and he wants federal employees to get six weeks of paid parental leave. So uh, this is an issue where the right has a tendency to knuckle under because it's hard to be the person who's against sick leave. Well, I'm
1: I'm against all leaves in the following sense. The point in these cases, these are employment contracts. Uh, uh, There's always a question as to whether or not it makes sense to give paid leave. And if it does, firms will voluntarily do it on the grounds that they improve the loyalty and the productivity of their workforce. But all workforces are not alike. One of the most frightening things that we've seen recently is the huge moves to temporary employment, precisely because of the additional burdens that regulation of Placed on the basic employment relations. The president, again, is doubling down on failure. This is the kind of thing which is likely to get some people paid leave and likely to get other people part-time employment. If you look at the labor attachment rates right now, they're at an all-time low, um, which is one of the reasons why the unemployment rate seems to be low. So many people have quit trying to get jobs because they're not available. And so the correct response to say, I have no idea what to do on this thing. You guys go ahead and figure it out. But the president is a born uninformed meddler when it comes to these kinds of operations. So he thinks one week is fine today and two weeks is fine next year. Maybe it should be 52 weeks of paid leave. One never knows where to start or where to end because what governments cannot do is to figure out when the marginal benefits no longer exceed the marginal cost and to quit. And the president, being a born social planner, always makes the mistake that he knows better how other people should run their businesses than they know how to run their businesses themselves. And the sorry situation we have in labor markets now are a direct consequence of this misguided philosophy.
0: One of the tech themes that the president has been hitting recently is the need for more local communities to be able to develop their own broadband internet service. Now, on on the one hand, that's government provision of a good that private markets can provide. (laughs) On The other, the competition in those private markets isn't always great, and there seems to be a lot of public dissatisfaction with, with internet providers. So how does a classical liberal think about government's role? on an issue like
1: that? Well, the first thing is you never want to run government-sponsored agencies doing anything because governments, in effect, are subject to so many political forces of one kind or another that they are likely to engage either in political preferences for their friends or give contracts out to people who are not to have them and so forth. The question is, what's the level of competition in this particular market? And I've actually worked on this quite recently for a paper that's being prepared by the Free State Foundation. And new entrance into this market are taking place all the time. Uh, there are a lot of people, for example, quite upset about the Comcast um uh, time Warner a cable merger that's being proposed, but a company like Netflix, which transmits over Comcast, already has many more subscribers than Comcast does. Um, to the extent that people can start getting things on computer and get rid of the intermediary, the cable company, which now becomes a kind of semi-obsolete technology, all you're going to do is retard these kinds of shifts if you start subsidizing local government. Uh, the thing to do, in effect, if you're serious about this, is to say, we don't want local governments holding up companies that do need to lay cable um, by charging them very heavy fees in order to put their appropriate infrastructure in the ground or wherever else it might be. And so, again, it's the usual problem. The president wants to subsidize something in order to get rid of a market failure. The appropriate response is to remove the restraints that local governments place on new entrants coming into their communities.
0: You also had the president, Richard, tatting the fact that the administration was boosting the housing market. Like, but cutting mortgage insurance fees through the through the FHA, that lowers the cost for borrowers. But given everything that we've seen from the housing market in recent years, do we do we really want government sort of pricing risk based on political considerations?
1: Well, that's a leading question, and the answer <laughs> is.
0: The answer is we don't. Um, Look, I've spent a lot
1: of time working on the Fannie and Freddie fiasco as an advisor to many of the sort of institutional investors who are trying to figure out whether or not to buy or or sell these stocks. What happened since 2008 was that the whole thing became completely politicized in 2012 when there was a deal that was cut between the – Department of Treasury, Tim Geithner, and an operation known as the FHFA, the Federal Home Housing Agency, then run by a man named Ed DeMarco, which simply took away all the dividend profits from the shareholders and gave them to the federal government. And, you know, this may actually work. That's the kind of politicization you get uh, the moment you get government running these kinds of things. It's even worse in some sense. The FHA is starting to think about making loans with a 3% down payment, which is no real down payment at all. And that is going to if the market should turn adverse result in the same flood of failures that we had back after the 2006 fiasco. Um, It doesn't improve policies to do stupid things through the FHA instead of doing them through Fannie Mae. But the president, again, is a born subsidizer and a born penalizer. And what he should do is neither of the two activities – Both are costly and both are wastely. And so if you want to improve the housing markets, again, the key things to do is to remove barriers to entry. Uh, I can still recall that when I tried to get uh, and actually was able to refinance my own home mortgage, I commented many times to the fellow on the other side that it would be easier to rob the PNC bank than it is to try to negotiate one of these things because of all the ridiculous paperwork that's being required in order to make sure that these things go through. So you have the government demand that they see every scrap of paper with respect to taxes and they can't let you complete a mortgage if there's a partnership return for which there's an income of between 100 or $100, which is not done. You have to leave no stones unturned. I mean, the whole system has become absolutely bizarre because of the heavy-handed regulation. So it's the same message all over again. Mr. President, learn to deregulate and he'll become a credible regulator if and only if he promotes one form of deregulation. As best I can tell, Uh, This recent State of the Union address and everything else he's done in the last six years is for more transfer payments and more regulation, a losing combination.
0: To that point, the final question I'll ask you, uh, State of the Union addresses are really about setting priorities. You obviously don't agree with most of the ones that President Obama has advanced, if it was Richard Epstein giving this speech. The two or three priorities that need to be at the forefront of the federal conversation right now.
1: Well, the first thing is you'd have to talk much more realistically about foreign affairs. I normally do not agree with Thomas Friedman writing in the New York Times, but when he said that the president has to be prepared to use the word terrorist to describe Islamic terrorist, um, he's got a point. And the president's view that there's peace in the world, which allows him to return his attention domestically, is a form of intellectual amnesia, which is really very hard to square with reality. Things have not gone well in any of the foreign fronts that we have. And so we need to have a president who's more more assertive in foreign affairs than this one has been. On the domestic front, basically what you want to do is to say, what can I do to get rid of the serious bottlenecks that have arisen in major programs? Right now, there's serious problems, for example, with the renewal of the Obamacare program. Will people sign up again? How is the employer mandate going to fare? Will people be able to figure out what these ridiculous forms are which will allow them or not allow them to keep the subsidies that they receive from the Obamacare program from the hands of the IRS, there are lots of deregulatory issues that he has to face. He has to rationalize bank regulation in some sense. He's just not prepared to do any of these things. I mean, the man faces an election in which his program has been at least in part repudiated by the strong Republican majorities, and what he wants to do is to tack further to the left and to announce to the world a set of programs that he won't pass, many of which are trying to go back on compromised deals like, for example, on the estate tax that he made several years ago. Uh, This is a recipe for gridlock. And I think his plan is that populism still works in the United States. And so when he constantly says, I'm going to hand out benefits, and that the great attraction of the program is to essentially pay for them all out of the top 1%, um, he's courting disaster. The basic simple truth in the United States is you don't have vibrant labor markets unless you have Apple active capital markets and extensive investments to create the jobs where he sees an op, you know an opposition between capital and labor on the one hand, a sensible president would see complementarity and he realized that you have to improve both markets through deregulation if you hope to get this country going back onto a better front. His announcement that all is well in the land, I think, is, is wildly over-optimistic. What has happened is capital has learned a little bit to adjust, but labor markets are still in a situation which stand for immediate improvement, typically and almost exclusively at this point by deregulation.
0: All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas, hoover.org. Follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For The Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of The Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.